Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. So we start Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw will open up with Sami Zayn coming out to open Raw, and he's wearing his fellow former tag partners, Kevin Owens t-shirt. Kevin Owens is on Monday Night Raw. Sammy would mention that and how their tag team had to break up. He is, however, excited for himself and Kevin Owens being separated and how he is ready to show everyone that he is a world champion caliber superstar. Sammy would say at the moment he has mixed emotions because of how this whole trade came along with Jay being on Raw with Kevin Owens have to now being going over to SmackDown. After them winning the tag titles together and at WrestleMania and how their reign came to an end by Judgment Day and that the Judgment Day are getting a tag title match later in the night. Now mentioning the Judgment Day, Judgment Day will come out and interrupt Sami Zayn and it's the usual same stuff. They're here, they're control Monday Night Raw, it's their show, yada yada yada. They're here to beat up Sami Zayn. So Judgment Day would surround the ring and as they're surrounding the ring... Out comes Jay Uso with two chairs to make the save. So when Jay Uso comes in the ring with the chairs, he will hand one chair to Sammy, and now they're in the middle of the ring. Judgment Day would see this. Judgment Day would get off the apron, and they would retreat. Now, there was a moment there where Sammy has his chair in his hands, and Jay's like circling uh, the ring to make sure Judgment Day gets off the apron, and I swore for a moment I thought we were going to have another Royal Rumble uh, situation where Sammy was going to crack Jay in the back the same way that he did Roman Reigns because Sammy did say earlier that he had mixed emotions about all of this, but that did not happen. Sammy would drop the chair after Judgment Day would retreat. He would look at Jay and he would leave the ring. Now we would go to commercial break. We go to the backstage. Jay Uso goes to find Sammy. He asks Sammy, "Is he all good?" Sammy would tell Jay, "Listen, I'm happy for you, but I'm." having some mixed emotions right now because of Kevin Owens not being here and it's basically because you're here and how you're a tag team champions and me and Kevin are not in. Again, Sammy's in this mixed emotions right now. He just tells Jay that he needs some time. Jay would move away from Sammy. Sammy would like do a little flip out moment. He'll push over a ch- uh, ladder, yell backstage, and once he gets that out of his system, he goes to find Jay and say, listen, I just... Needed a moment. I kind of lost it there. I don't mean what I say. Listen, I'm genuinely happy for you. Truly. And you ask, Jay, are we good? Jay would hug him and say, yeah, man, we're good. So, like, Sammy is going through a lot of things right now. Again, it's mixed emotions. He doesn't have a best friend on Monday Night Raw. So, it makes a lot of sense for why Sammy was uh, having mixed emotions with Jay Uso here at the beginning of the show, to be completely honest. Now, we move away from that. We get to our first match of the night. We'll have a false count anywhere match between Ricochet and Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura would win the match by pinfall when he would knock Ricochet off the top turnbuckle, making Ricochet smash through a table outside of the ring. Nakamura would then hit Ricochet with a Kinshasa outside of the ring to win the match. Ricochet in this match proves why he truly is WWE's uh, Mr. Highlight Reel. Because during the match, you saw Ricochet run off the Titan Tron and land on his feet. And you saw him hit a shooting star press literally off the crowd stands onto Shinsuke Nakamura and a group of WWE security. And I'm going to tell you right now, that shooting star press is going to 
play in some video packages just to showcase what kind of action is going to happen on WWE. And I believe that's one of the prime examples, again, of what Ricochet has been able to do basically throughout this whole time, not just in WWE, but in wrestling in general. From his time in the independence, he was able to pull off unbelievable uh, feat of acrobatics to him and Will Ospreay at New Japan, to him doing his stuff over in the Lucha Underground, to him doing his stuff even in uh, NXT, him and Adam Cole with their match at Brooklyn, him doing the running somersault out of the uh, ring and landing on his feet when he went up against Velveteen Dream, and then him recreating that exact same spot with Logan Paul again this year. Ricochet is literally Mr. Highlight Reel for WWE, but I just don't think WWE is using ricochet to his full potential if anything just use them for nothing but highlight real type of moments that's all you got to do for ricochet but we'll have to wait and see what they will do but this gives nakamura a win back in the column since he lost to uh seth rollins at Fastlane. so this gives nakamura something now next up we have piper niven with her tag team partner and also one half of the wwe women's tag team champions chelsea green in her corner as they win against natalia Piper would win the match by pitiful thanks to Chelsea Green interference. Natalia will look to lock in a sharpshooter on Piper, but Chelsea would get on the apron. Piper would push Natalia into Chelsea, knocking Chelsea off the apron. Natalia would then look at Chelsea, and this allowed Piper to pull uh, Natalia's hair, and Natalia would fall back on the mat. Piper Niven would then hit a crossbody splash on Natalia for the win. Now, after the match, Chelsea and Piper Niven would attack Natalia until Tegan Knox would run down to make the save because Tegan and Natalia are starting to form like some uh, bond between the two. So that's the reason why Tegan was here. Once Tegan got into the ring, uh, Piper and Chelsea, they would roll out of the ring. So that's that here. I'm not certain if we're going to get a official team form of partnership between Tegan Knox and Natalia, but I can see that happening because right now Chelsea and Piper, they have nobody to like challenge them for the women's tag team title. So I can expect that team to be a thing. Now, next up, we have the World Heavyweight Champion Seth Rollins coming out to the ring. And the reason he's out here is because of what happened last week between Drew McIntyre and the Judgment Day, how Drew didn't help Seth out when Damian Priest attacked him until Dom would want to come out with the money to make briefcase. That's what Drew interfered. So, Seth will call Drew out, and Drew will come to the ring. Drew will state yet again what he told Seth last week, that he wants Seth at 100% at Crown Jewel for their match for the World Heavyweight Championship. And he tells Seth that he doesn't need Seth to be in the middle of this ring right now because it's not smart, because Drew isn't going to be his babysitter. So, Seth would then turn everyone's attention to the Titan and show what happened last week with Rhea talking to Drew McIntyre backstage and question if Drew has enlisted the help from the Judgment Day. Drew will shut all that down, and now you have Seth start pushing Drew and say that Drew has had a bad couple of years, almost capturing the big moments in his career, but not really being able to capitalize on them, and how Drew needs to let go of his obsession with the bloodline. Now, with Seth saying that, Drew would finally unload on Seth and explain his reasoning for why he just truly can't let go of his whole obsession and his beef with the bloodline. Get over it. <clears throat> you like being world champion, don't you? I mean, thousands of people scream for you, sing your song every week, yeah? 
have a catchy theme song too I could bring back, but I don't need that crutch. That was the dream. It was my dream too. And when I achieved that dream in the main event of WrestleMania, when I beat Brock Lesnar in five minutes, there was nobody there. It wasn't just a tough time for the company. We were in a worldwide pandemic and we needed someone to step up. And Drew McIntyre stepped up. Missed moment after missed moment. By the time everybody was back, the moment had passed. But I captured lightning in a bottle a second time. In the UK, one-on-one with Roman Reigns, over 50,000 people where it all began. And who screwed me over? The bloodlines. I'm sorry if I'm not getting it over so quick. I'm not over it so quick. But we've got third time. The third time lightning is in a bottle. You and you need to think long and hard how you're going to reinvent yourself for the 53rd time when I beat you and take that title from you, Crown Jewel. But all I'm hearing from you right now is a bunch of excuses. You're pointing fingers, you're making excuses, and I promise you that's not going to get you where you want to go. I am going to beat you at Crown Jewel, and I promise you it will be the best thing that ever happened to you. Because for the first time in a long time, you will have no one to blame but yourself. Now we finally have Drew's actual reasoning for why he could never let go of the bloodline, which he kind of alluded to every single time, but he actually went into detail with this how he's missed opportunities, how it always came, but he just couldn't capitalize because of interference after interference, and specifically when he was in his home of Scotland and he was with his people, and then it just didn't click. It just didn't happen because of Solzico interfering, the bloodline in general. So now with Drew actually laying all that out, and also is a funny parallel, by the way, because Seth Rollins, he beat, Brock Lesnar a year before Drew did at WrestleMania. Because remember, 2019's WrestleMania, you had Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre. No, Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar going first because the women's triple uh, threat was the main event. And then in 2020 was the pandemic and Drew was supposed to wrestle Brock in front of everyone. But then the pandemic crap happened. He did it in front of no one. It was in the Performance Center. He beat Brock there. So Drew was never, ever able to get that moment back for himself. So this is the reason why Drew can never let anything go at all. And now that's the reason why we're seeing this side of Drew here. And now you have the possibility of if Seth beats Drew at Crown Jewel. Seth is aligned with no one. Drew is aligned with no one. And if Seth beats Drew cleanly by himself, Drew will have to look in the mirror and figure out what's the true missing piece that's wrong with him. Because Seth said it. You have no one but to blame but yourself because Seth isn't aligned with no one. You're not aligned with no one, supposedly. So it's all on you whenever we have our Magic Crown Jewel. So we get this nice back and forth between Drew and Seth. And then we go backstage later in the night. Drew would find Sammy and talk to Sami Zayn. Drew would say that he wanted to commend Sammy for doing the work after leaving the bloodline and having people in the locker room turn from not trusting Sammy into trusting him, unlike Jay Uso, who just pops up on here and asking for everyone's automatic trust. Sammy would thank Drew, but tells him that he knows what Jay is feeling because he knows how hard it is for anyone just to leave the bloodline behind, but he knows how Drew feels, but he admits Seth was right about leaving the bloodline in his past. Drew would tell Sammy that he can't know how Drew feels because he was never world champion. And he never knows having the weight of the company on his shoulders. So Sammy would take 
umbrage with this and challenge Drew to a match next week. Drew would accept. So next week on Monday Night Raw, we have Drew McIntyre going against Sami Zayn. Now, next up, we have Ludovic Kaiser with Giovanni Vinci in his corner going against Johnny Gargano. Ludovic Kaiser would win this match by pinfall thanks to interference from Giovanni Vinci. Johnny Gargano would hit Willow's Bell, then one final beat on Ludovic Kaiser. And as Johnny made the pin, Giovanni Vinci would poke Johnny in the eyes as the referee was at the count of two. Johnny would then leave the ring and attack Giovanni Vinci. This would have Vinci get away from Johnny and run into the ring. Johnny would give chase, and this allowed Ludovic Kaiser to hit Johnny with a running enziguri, then finish him off with a flatline DDT uh, combination. So Ludovic Kaiser gets a win over Johnny Gargano thanks to Giovanni Vinci. Now, next up, we had the uh, women's world champion, Rhea Ripley. She comes out because she has a match with Shayna Baszler. They have their match, but it will end in a new contest because Nia Jax, Raquel Rodriguez, and Zoe Stark would all get involved. And Zoe Starks will be the last woman standing on top. So Zoe Starks has some momentum. Now, later in the night, Rhea Ripley will walk into Adam Pearce's office and start demanding some order from Adam Pearce, trying to get... Rhea Ripley's women's division back in order. Adam Pearce would tell Rhea that at Crown Jewel, Rhea will be defending her women's world championship in a fatal five-way against Shayna, Raquel, Nia, and Zoe. So we have that match now being made for at Crown Jewel. Now next up, we have the Intercontinental Championship matchup. Gunther going against Bronson Reed. This was just big guys just going at one another. Gunther versus Bronson. Gunther would retain his championship by pinfall by hitting a powerbomb. And yes, an actual powerbomb, not one of those powerbombs where the big man's already on the second uh, turnbuckle and Gunther or somebody goes underneath him and just grabs him by the legs and like powerbombs him. No, Gunther actually does the traditional powerbomb on Bronson Reed to win the match after hitting him with a clothesline and a big body splash. Um, As I said, Gunther, Bronson Reed, just two big guys slugging it out with one another. Solid match. I feel that it got really like... Fans like really got into it towards the end because you got the big superplex uh, moment between Bronson and Gunther and people thought, oh, the ring might collapse. The ring wasn't going to collapse with Gunther and Bronson. It's just that those two guys, you see the size of them and you just had the idea that the ring might collapse because you saw how the ring collapsed with former big men. But these two guys, when you think about them from Bronson and Gunther, comparing them to a Big Show, Mark Henry, and a Brock Lesnar, those guys that actually made the ring collapse, it wasn't going to happen here. But it was a nice moment for the fans to at least hold their breath. So again, towards the end of the match, I feel that the crowd got more into it, but it was still a solid match between Gunther and Bronson Reed for the Intercontinental Championship. Now, we go over to our main event for the Unified Tag Team Championships. It is Judgment Days, Damian Priest, and Finn Balor going against the champions, Cody Rose and Jay Uso. The Judgment Day would win back their tag team championships thanks to Jimmy Uso interfering. When there was absolute chaos happening around the ring, Cody Rhodes was taken out by a razor's edge by Damian Priest, so he was out. Jay had to fend off both Finn and Priest. He hit Finn with a spear, Priest with a spear, and as Jay would go to the top turnbuckle, Jimmy would appear and pull Jay and then hit him with a super kick. Jimmy would then roll Jay into the ring, and this allowed Finn to hit a coup de grace on Jay Uso to win back the tag team titles for the Judgment Day. So the Judgment Day are all together once again. They have gold 
every single one of them. Rhea, the Women's World Championship, dominate the NAC North American Championship. Finn and Damian Priest back to tag team titles. And also Priest, he still has the Money in the Bank briefcase. So Raw ends with the Judgment Day, having fireworks pop off of the back, and they're standing tall. So we will have to see what this means for Judgment Day, and do they have an alliance with the Bloodline? But more of this will be revealed, hopefully. Now, with that being said, that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to NXT. And on this episode of NXT, it was all about building up for next week's and weeks after's uh, Halloween Havoc special edition of NXT. Because next week will be part one of Halloween Havoc. And the following week after that will be part two of Halloween Havoc. For part one of Halloween Havoc, we will have Alexis King, formerly known as Brian Pillman Jr., who will be making his debut next week on Halloween Havoc. So we get that announcement here on this episode. Now I'm about to get into what actually happened on the episode as in wrestling related. We'll have the Bada Bing Bada Boom Tag Team Battle Royal. Where you have all the tag teams in NXT battling out in the Battle Royal. Where the last two tag teams will have to face off against one another in a tag team match. Now the last two tag teams technically were Chase U and the Creed Brothers. Because the Creed Brothers will eliminate Humberto. Korea, but the referees didn't see the elimination because they were busy with OTM and the Brawling Brutes battling outside of the ring. So this allowed Humberto to slide himself back in the ring, and Andrew Garza and Humberto would throw both the Creed Brothers out of the ring towards the referee's position. So the referee would see the Creed Brothers outside the ring, and they would say that they have been eliminated. So the final two teams would be Chase U, which consists of Andre Chase and Duke Hudson, going against Humberto and Angel. Now, they will have their tag match up here, and Thea Hale and JC Jane will come out to cheerlead for Chase U. Chase U would win the match by pinfall, thanks to the Creed Brothers interfering. When Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo were looking for a powerbomb on Andre Chase, but Brutus Creed would get down to the ring apron and get the attention of the referee, and this will allow Julius Creed to pull Humberto out of the ring, and Andre Chase will execute a pinning Hurricane Rana onto Angel Garza for the win. So now Chase U will be facing off against the NXT Tag Team Champions of the Family next week on Halloween Havoc. Now, next thing to happen would be Carmelo Hayes would come down to the ring and Carmelo would still be on cloud nine from last week's interactions with Legends, hanging around with John Cena, winning his match last week against Braun Breaker and having his moment with The Undertaker. Then Baron Corbin would come out and start hating on Melo. Corbin will say that since Melo's acting like a fan, he needs to be out there with the fans. So you get this jab from Melo and Corbin for a little bit. Then Dijak will come out. Dijak will say that he plans on beating them later tonight to become the number one contender for the NXT championship. Then you will have Ilya Dragunov appear on the Titantron and tell the three men that he'll be watching their match later tonight. But before Ilya would go away, he will say that Cody, last week, before he uh, left his duties as NXT interim general manager for the night, he turned their triple threat match tonight into a fatal four-way match. And out would walk Trick Williams, who will be the fourth man in this matchup. Now you have Melo in the ring looking surprised. Dijak and Baron will try to stir the pot with Melo and Trick, saying that Trick is stabbing Melo in the back. You have Baron trying to tell... Uh, Mello, that your boy did all of this without 
your knowledge, he did this for himself. He went into business for himself. And now you see Melo having a face to trick, but then Melo had the condo down saying, you know what? I know this man. I know me. You're not going to get me off my game. We're going to do this the right way. And you get this moment of Trick and Melo just staring at one another. And then Baron and Dida, they will try to attack Trick and Melo. They do so, but Trick and Mello, they get the better of Baron and Corbin and Dijak, throw them out of the ring. And now you have this moment where you see Trick looking at Corbin, daring him to get back in the ring, and Mello is behind Trick, and he looks like he's about to do something. But he opts not to. He put his hand around Trick, and they're just looking at Corbin. So you have this moment with them. And again, Mello could have did something to Trick, but he did not. So we'll have to wait and see what will happen, because... Later in the night, you would get Mello talking to Trick, and he would say that you did ambush me out there. I thought that the plan was for you to go after your North American title. I go after the NXT championship. We grab champions, uh, our respective titles. Trick would say that was your plan. That wasn't my plan. I talked to John, and he said timing is everything, and that Trick just basically admitted that he wants to taste more gold because he got the itch after beating Dominic to win the North America title, and he wants to just try to up his game. So you have this Trickwood convince Mello that, hey, both of them are still boys. They're cool. It's just, it is what it is at the moment. And it's going to be the exact same because they're boys. This is not going to tear them apart. Mello said, you know what? You're right. But you know, I'm going to do anything that I can to get that championship back. And you know this. Trick would say, hey, that's all right, because at the end of the day, it's still Trick and Mello gang. So you will see them both dap up. Trick will leave out, and Mello would just look as Trick leaves out. Because this will play into something later in the night, because Trick would get attacked backstage. We would not know who attacked Trick Williams, because we see him just laid out on the ground. Mello will walk up and start uh, asking for medics, trying to see who is around to try to get... Medic's out there and look after Trick. So we have this moment and we get told that Mello is now, no, not Mello, God, Trick is being sent to the medical facility. So now Trick will not be in this Fiddle Forward match and it'll be right back to the Triple Threat match. It'll be back to Dijak, Baron Corbin, and Mello, where the winner will be going against Ilya Dragunov on the second night of Halloween Havoc. So we will have to wait and see who will win that match at the end of NXT. Now, after all of this that I just said, our next matchup will be the NXT breakout tournament between Carmen Petrovic going against Jada Parker. Carmen would win the match by submission using the code of silence on Parker. So Carmen advances and now has to face Lola Vice next week in the semifinals of the NXT breakout tournament. After this, we will have Tegan Knox with Natalia in her corner going against Lyra Valkyria. Lyra would win the match by pinfall with hitting a spinning heel kick. Now you have the women tag team champions, Chelsea Green and Piper Niven, coming down to the ring by the end of the match. They would distract Tegan a little bit. Um, however, I don't think that really played a part. If you really watch the match, it didn't really play a part into why Tegan Knox lost. However, though... After the match, you would see Tegan and Natalia attack both Chelsea and Piper and have them, all four of the ladies, like, fight up the ramp to the back. Now, this will leave Lyra with 
the opportunity to get a mic, talk about how she plans on being Becky at Halloween Havoc for the NXT Women's Championship. Becky would appear on the Titantron and talk about how she is happy. Lyra has been gaining momentum, but now Lyra has a step into the big time because Becky isn't going to let Lyra just take the championship because this championship gives Becky purpose. She doesn't want to lose the title that gives her validation for leaving her daughter and giving her just something. So now we're getting this we're getting this passionate uh, speech from Becky because Becky knows that this title means something to her. And that's what every title should be to any champion. It should mean something. And anytime Becky talks about how a title means something to her, you at least feel it. At least I do. So I like that she mentioned that. I like that she gave this uh, validation to the title and credibility to it. So now that just basically props up the title match between Lyra Valkyria and Becky Lynch for the NXT Women's Championship. Uh, some merit, and that match will happen next week on Halloween Havoc. Well, night one. Now, next up, we will have Keanu James going against Shotzi. Shotzi would win the match thanks to interference from Roxanne Perez. When Keanu James would knock Shotzi off the top turnbuckle, Keanu will look to grab her purse. However, Roxanne would be there looking inside the purse and pull out the brick that's inside. Kiana would still grab her purse. Roxanne would get on the apron. The ref would be busy with Roxanne and Miss Shotzi grabbing the purse from Kiana and hitting her with it. Then Shotzi would throw the purse back at Kiana and perform an Eddie Guerrero. For people that know, that's whenever um, an opponent has a weapon in hand, the other opponent will grab it. They'll either hit their opponent or hit the mat or something, throw it back at the other opponent, grab it, and play like they got hit. So, Shotzi does this. She plays like she got hit. The referee would turn around and grab the purse away from Kiana and chastise her. Kiana would run towards Shotzi. Shotzi would move, and Kiana would run her shoulders into the ring post. Now, this will allow Shotzi to hit a senton from the top turnbuckle to win the match, and that's how Shotzi would win. Now, after the match... In the back, Shotzi and Roxanne will be walking backstage. Shotzi tells Roxanne that this isn't the same Roxanne that she teamed up with last year against Damage Control and how she sees that Roxanne has grown. Roxanne will say that she's tired of messing around with Keanu James and how she wants to just basically end it. So with Shotzi being the host of Halloween Havoc next week, Shotzi would make a match between Roxanne and Kiana, but there's the wheel that they usually spin to determine a match or a specialty match for Halloween Havoc, and Roxanne gets to spin it. So Roxanne spins the wheel. It ends up turning out to be a Devil's Playground match. I just basically think it's a probably a no-holds-barred match with weapons just basically everywhere. We don't know what it is yet. They never really clarified it, but we'll probably get an answer to that next week because that match will be happening next week. So we get Roxanne Perez going against Keanu James in a Devil's Playground match on night one of Halloween Havoc. Now, we'll go over to the next match, and it's the NXT Breakout Tournament. It is Barley or Barley Reese going against Ariana Grace. Jakari Jackson was uh, medically unclear to compete. I believe she's dealing with some type of injury. It was not disclosed what injury it was. So, Reese would take Jakari's place here. Ariana, however, would win the match by pinfall when she would rake the eyes of Reese and hit an inside-out suplex for the win. So now Ariana Grace will be facing Kalani Jordan in the semifinals of the breakout tournament next week on Halloween Havoc Night 1. Now we move over to the main event, the triple threat match for the Memorial Contender 
for the NXT Championship is Dijak going against Baron Corbin going against Carmelo Hayes. We will have Carmelo Hayes win the match by pinfall. We saw at the end of the match, Dijak and Baron start jockey for position. You see Baron try to choke slam Dijak. Dijak would reverse out of it, land on his feet. Dijak would hit Corbin with a big boot. Corbin would rebound off the ropes. Dijak would put Corbin on his shoulders, looking to hit the feast your eyes. And you will see Baron land on his feet. Now you will see Baron grab Dijak by the arm, pull him in, hit the end of days. And as Baron's about to go for the cover, Carmelo would hit nothing but net on Corbin. And you will see Carmelo pin Dijak to get the win. So, uh, Carmelo Hayes will be going against Ilya Dragunov in two weeks' time at Halloween Havoc Night 2. So we get Melo versus Ilya, number three. I think it's going to be a good match, but again, we have another week to uh, see what's going to happen, see what's going to go down, because we still have the mystery of who attacked Trick Williams to make him not be involved in this matchup to crown the number one contender. So we can see next week some problems between uh, Melo and Trick, or somebody probably accusing Melo of taking Trick out. I suspect that. Um... But that was your main event of NXT. Now, after that, we go backstage. Lyra Valkyria is there looking at Melo, giving him uh, the head nod. And right behind Lyra will be a picture of Becky and Lyra when uh, Lyra was training over there in Ireland. She will take the photo off of a locker and look at the photo saying, next week I'm taking the title off of you. Tear the photo in half. And start leaving, but what Lyra didn't see was on the same screen, you would see Jade Cargo pop up, and Jade Cargo just starts tapping on her watch. So Jade Cargo might be showing up next week at NXT because I forgot to mention this on Monday Night Raw. Jade Cargo did appear on Monday Night Raw when Becky would go into uh, Adam Pierce's office, and Jade Cargo would appear, and those two would have some words. And Becky would leave. So, as I've said, we have no idea where Jade is going to pop up. We don't know if Jade's going to be on Raw, be on SmackDown, be on NXT. But just having that mystique of when Jade is going to pop up, when Jade is going to actually execute and actually target and hit someone, that's the anticipation that everybody wants to see because that will dictate her. That would dictate her course of where everybody's basically going to see from her. So we'll have to wait and see. Maybe it'll happen next week. Maybe it won't. Well, time will tell. Now with that, that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we turn over into AEW Dynamite. Dynamite would open up with Jay White with Bullet Club Gold in his corner. Going against Penta Zero Mero, who will have Alex Abrahantes in his corner. Jay White would win the match by pinfall. Thanks to interference from Bullet Club Gold. Austin Gunn, he would get on the apron to distract the referee. This allowed Juice Robinson to hit the left hand of God on Penta while Juice is still holding his uh, TJ Maxx ring. And this would allow Jay White to hit the Blade Runner on Penta for the win. After the match, Jay would get a mic and start running down MGF for not coming to the ring to try to get back his precious uh, Triple B belt and not having three other guys to accept Jay White's challenge of an 8-on-8 matchup. Juice would then take the mic and say that after he wins the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal in the main event, he will be facing MGF next week, and he will take away the one 
last thing that MJF has right now, and that's the Dynamite Diamond Ring, and MJF will be left with nothing. Now, after Drew says this, we go backstage, Renee Paquette's with MJF, MJF would say point blank, he didn't go out there like every other smunk that's a good guy, because it's a numbers game. 4-1, he got his butt kicked, so that's the reason why he didn't go out there. But he does say that he will be like commentary in the main event, watching the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal. Now we will go to the acclaim walking up on MJF. And again, Max Caster, he's trying to get MJF to accept the acclaim's uh, help in his business with Blue Club Gold. MJF would still decline because he doesn't like Max Caster being a creep to him. Max Caster would say, you know what, here's the deal. I will win the main event in the next week when me and you face one another and I beat you, then you can put a ring on it. Max Caster is being, he has a love affair for MJF, and it's, it's they're, they're playing on to their whole Twitter deal that Max has been doing for like some years with MJF. And again, MJF will just find Max creepy, and he'll just walk away. So we'll see what happens in the main event with the Dynamite does in Battle Royal. Next up, we have Amy Sakura going against Hikaru Shida in a women's championship eliminator uh, match. Meaning that if Emi Sakura will win, she gets a shot at Hikaru Shida's AEW Women's Championship. But that does not happen. Shida would win the match by pitfall, hitting the katana for the win. So, Shida, so far right now, has no other woman to challenge her for the AEW Women's Championship. But it was a solid match against Emi Sakura. It was still playing on the whole uh, teacher versus student because Emi uh, helped train Sheeta in her way of becoming a professional wrestler, so you still got that uh, story between the two ladies. And again, Sheeta, she puts on good matches, so Sheeta and Sakura, they had a good match here. Now, next up, we will have Adam Copeland backstage with Renee Paquette. Adam will talk about his relationship with Christian and once again talk about why he came to AEW because he wanted to finish his career out with Christian. And he talks about how when he was in talks with Tony, Khan and how the deal was coming together every time it was coming together more rapidly quicker and quicker it seemed that Christian would start being distanced from Adam so we have that and Adam would say that Christian still holds on to the fact that people always saw Adam as the leading guy whatever it was those two whether it be Adam and Christian or Ian C. So I'm glad he was able to use E and C because that was their like little nicknames in WWE F at the time. So he was able to play on that and he was able to talk about how he always was seen as the leader, but that was never ever his intent. And he was the guy that had to push Christian because he talks about them being young, how uh, they entered into a writing contest that the winner would get free wrestling training. Adam rode into it. Christian did not. Once Adam got training a year later, he had to push Christian into becoming a professional wrestler. And basically Adam is saying that if it wasn't for him, Christian would probably be as an IT guy somewhere and that Christian probably still holds a little bit of resentment because Christian would never ever the guy to take the leap of faith and Adam was always that guy. Fast forwarding on, Adam would say point blank, he's not going to be fighting Christian. He's not going to do it, but he will be there for him once Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne drops Christian because he knows that's going to happen. Now, here's my thing with this. 
Adam knows good and well. And I don't know why they're doing this. I think this is playing into whenever Adam officially turns into a heel because I see it coming somewhere down the line. Adam played into the fact saying that Christian talked about how they, as in the other company, put a rocket onto Adam's back. And Adam never ever tried to say that wasn't true or how uh, the other company looked at him as the greater guy in the team. He never ever actually said, I saw from Christian's vantage point. He never ever gave Christian any type of validity because everybody in the world has seen it. Everybody saw it. Everybody's seen it. Everybody even said that the WWE or another company put like Edge Adam before Christian and how Christian had to basically leave so he can basically be his own man. So Adam gave no validity to that. So this is another reason why Christian is basically upset with Adam. And I like how they just didn't acknowledge that. At least Adam didn't. So again, this whole deal between Christian and Adam, I like where they're going with this. Adam did say that he's not going to fight Christian. He's not going to fight him for the TNT title, which I believe that's going to eventually happen because it always does. So it's going to be a real nice, uh, I like the way in which we're going to get to that, basically what I'm trying to get with. But that was the gist of Adam's backstage with Renee Paquette. Now, we will move over into the next match, which would be Warlow going against Ryan Nemeth. Warlow would win the match by referee stoppage by hitting one simple powerbomb. And it was at the beginning of the match because Ryan tried to attack Warlow before the bell rung. Warlow ate the shots, but he grabbed Ryan by the face and like forcefully put him between his legs, lift him up. Ryan tried to punch Warlow in the face, tried to get him off, but Warlow was able to powerbomb Nimeth, And the referee just called for the bell right there because he saw Nimeth was not able to get up. Now, after the match, Tony Schiavone will come down to the ring and ask Warlow what is his determination for this path of destruction that he's been on. And Warlow would say, my <laughs> my motivation is this. And he will point at his wrist, and it has MGF on it. So, you will see this. Warlow will then shoulder check Tony, and Tony will fall to the mat, and then you will leave, and Warlow will walk up the ramp and go and exit out through the bad guy tunnel. So Warlow is not a bad guy, and now we get this whole deal that Warlow is after MGF. We finally got it solidified, so now MGF has another guy onto his ever-growing list, a roster of men that's trying to take the world title away from him. Speaking of that, uh, Kenny Omega, he was backstage, he would be talking with Rene Paquette, he's getting himself uh, hyped up for his match with Kyle Fletcher next, MGF will walk up on Kenny Omega, and he would... Introduce himself. Kenny Omega right now has the longest reigning uh, reign as AEW World Champion. MGF is kind of almost eclipsing that because he's almost 13 days away from it. He will shake Kenny Omega's hand. He will pull Kenny Omega closer and he will whisper in his ear, 13 more days, bitch. So, MGF is, again, adding another guy onto his list of guys to go after him. Kenny Omega would watch MGF leave and say, okay, we'll see about that. So now Kenny Omega might be wanting to go after MGF for the world title just to make sure MGF doesn't clear his record. But again, we'll have to wait and see because Kenny now has to deal and still deal with the Don Callis family. Now, speaking of the Don Callis family, Don Callis, Powerhouse Hob, and Kenoshka Dikesha, they will come down to the ring. Don would hype up the destruction of Chris Jericho last week by Powerhouse Hobbs. Hobbs would give his reasoning for why he destroyed Chris Jericho, and it was a receipt. For Chris Jericho disrespecting him and his grandmother in 1998 when 
Hobbs was supposed to meet Chris Jericho at a wrestling event. They were in the front. Chris Jericho would disrespect his grandmother, telling her to sit down until Power Hobbs to sit down at the time. So Hobbs basically held on all to that anger for all those years, and he destroyed Chris Jericho for that reason. And I respect it, because I'm a man that holds grudges myself. So I respect Hobbs for doing that. Uh, Don would then talk about how his Don Cow's family has been dominant for the last four months, being undefeated, except for when Kyle Fletcher took over the spot of Sammy Guevara because Sammy's out right now with a concussion. And that's when Kyle lost for his team. Don would talk bad about Kyle Fletcher until Kyle Fletcher would come to the ring and get in the face of Don Callis. Kyle would tell Don that he did that match as a favor for Will Ospreay. And yeah, sure, he might have been the weak link on that team at that time. However, he has another shot against Kenny Omega and that he doesn't need help to beat Kenny Omega tonight. Don would tell the Kyle, listen, if you beat Kenny, then maybe we can talk about you possibly joining the Don Callis family, or basically we have some other opportunities for you. So we would get to the match. Kenny Omega versus Kyle Fletcher. They had one great match. Uh, Don Callis would be on commentary, and even Don at points would hype up Kyle Fletcher and Kyle Fletcher is doing everything he can to put Kenny away. He puts him in a dragon sleeper. He hits him with brain busters. I mean, Kyle is putting in that work. But Kenny Omega is Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega will hit a vicious uh, V-trigger on Kyle Fletcher. And then hit a one-winged angel for the win to win the match. So Kenny Omega beats Kyle Fletcher. Don Callis will be upset. He will walk away. And there you go. So we have that business still going on. And with the funny business is that Don Callis has Will Ospreay, Sammy Guevara, Kanosuke Takesha, and Powerhouse Hob in his Don Callis family. And you could potentially get Kyle Fletcher in your family, but you're just upset that Kyle Fletcher is failing, quote-unquote, your family. And you're talking bad about Kyle Fletcher. You are poisoning your own family at the exact same time because Will Ospreay is in your family. Will Ospreay leads a group called the United Empire in New Japan, and Kyle Fletcher, even though he's in AEW, he still represents the United Empire in AEW. So it's going to be a nice, interesting situation when Will Ospreay does pop back up on AEW and see if he does either stands with Don Callis or he's going to side with Kyle Fletcher. It's going to be interesting when that time comes about, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Next up, we have Lance Archer going against a guy named Barrett Brown. This is another but a squash match. Lance would win the match by pinfall by hitting a blackout. Since they're in Texas, they had to give uh, Lance Archer the pop. And the crowd loves seeing their own guy here. So that's the reason why Lance was on the show. And I wish we get Lance Archer more on the show, to be honest. Because he was, at the time, when AEW was like... I'm not going to say being... Like, showing up on TV. But, like, before the pandemic happened. Like, literally. I will say, like, weeks before it happened. Lance Archer was made to be the guy to be, like, their big, monstrous guy. Like, Luchasaurus, he was the big monster guy, but he was, like, teaming up with uh, Jungle Boy and doing the whole Marco Stunt thing with Jurassic Express. Lance Archer was supposed to be their big, monster guy that is going to be a hill to beat him. And it just never seemed to take off with Lance Archer, and I don't understand why. Hopefully, somebody can get that fixed, and we can get Lance Archer to be the actual monster that he's supposed to be. I'm hoping that we do get that sometime soon, personally. 
If not, let him go and let him go to New Japan and let him do his business there and let him become the big monster over there. Because New Japan, they need a big monster. And Lance Archer, he's already familiar with New Japan. New Japan is familiar with Lance Archer. Let him do that over there. Let him be their big monster over there and let him have a great career. That's at least my personal opinion on Lance Archer because I like the guy. But we'll wait and see what happens with that. Now, next up, we have Sting coming down to the ring. And Sting is out here to address the crowd. Sting will talk about his career in his early years, traveling up and down the roads with Lex Luger and the Steiner brothers and how they looked at the people that were ahead of him and how they traveled before them. He will talk about Dusty Rhodes, Hulk Hogan, and Ric Flair, thanking each one of those guys because they all taught him something. And Sting will say at the time when he was young, he would wonder why those legends would come around year after year traveling the roads with the success that they had. And now Sting is exactly in their position. And Sting would finally get the business and he would talk about that magical word, retirement. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, he retired once already. Yeah, I said the word retire. But I got to tell you, that retirement in 2015 just didn't sit right with me. And besides that, there was one very key moment in my retirement speech that I made. The only thing for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. Which brings me now to the word retirement. I started my very first match with AEW was Revolution 2021. And my very last match will be Revolution 2024. One more key, one more key thing that you guys all need to know. The only thing for sure about Sting is my retirement, Revolution 2024, is for sure. So we now have the official date, well, at least the official setting, which Sting will be officially walking away from the professional wrestling industry, at least in a professional wrestler capacity. It'll be Revolution 2024, and I'm glad that Sting is walking away. I'm glad this thing's going to be able to walk away on its own volition instead of being injured and hurt and having to be forced to actually retire like he had to do in WWE. Like, a lot of the people have to do whenever they're wrestling from time to time. Like, that was a trend. Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, he had to retire because of medics. Edge, he had to retire because of medics. Soraya, she had to retire at the time because of medics. A lot of other guys, Christian as well. I mean... There's a litany of people that had to retire because of medics telling them, Ayo, you have to retire. They're never, ever able to walk away from the game themselves. So Sting being able to do this and deciding that it's going to be Revolution because he started in 2021, his first match at Revolution, and he wanted to be symbolic in it at Revolution 2024. I like that for Sting. And we're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen with Sting later on as we make it to Revolution 2024. Now, after this, we get over into backstage. We have Jim Ross sitting with uh, Nick Wayne and his mother. And Nick Wayne is sitting there like the kid or teen that doesn't want to listen to no one. He's just sitting there chewing gum, not paying attention. Uh, Nick Wayne's mom is there trying to get to Nick Wayne, asking him why did he do that to Darby? Why is he siding with Christian after everything Christian has said about him, his mom, and even his father, 
Nick would finally tell his mom that, listen, I chose Christian because everybody always thought about Darby. Nobody ever thought about me. Nobody ever congratulated me when I got to AEW. They always talked about Darby this, Darby that. So that's the reason why Nick turned on Darby. And Christian Cage is like a father figure to Nick. And Nick would say to his mom, point blank, he's more of a father than my father was. And I thought at that moment, Nick Wayne's mom should have slapped him right there. Because you're talking about your deceased dad, and you're talking about a man who is a vile human being, like Christian Cage saying that he's better than your father. I thought the mom would have got up and slapped the taste out of his mouth. Nope, that doesn't happen there. She does slap him, but she slaps him later. Uh, Christian, he will walk in, tap Nick Wayne on the shoulder, and say, are you ready, son? Nick Wayne will get up, and Nick Wayne will walk with Christian. Nick's mom will, like, get up from her chair, grab Nick by the arm. Nick would tell her to uh, get off of me. He would say something to her that would make her slap her son, and then Nick would say the following words, you're dead to me. And Nick would walk away. Christian would say, don't you abuse him. How dare you? And he would walk away and say, you should have paid to the phone. And he shuts the door as Nick's mom is trying to get after them. So Nick's mom would stand there and she would hear thumping behind the door. And once you open the door up, you see Christian Cage on the floor. You see Darby Allen there beating up uh, Nick Wayne. And they make it to the like stage in front of the people. Nick Wayne is being beat up by Darby. Christian and Luchasaurus come out to help Nick Wayne out. But then you see Sting come out there. Uh, Darby still working over uh, Nick Wayne on the stage as Luchasaurus and Christian try to beat up Sting. But Sting's beating up both of them. And at the end of it, you see Darby Allen and Sting in the ring as Christian, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne, who now has a chipped tooth because he's bleeding from the mouth is right there on the ramp. And I see right now where like the match is basically going to happen at full gear, at least from my vantage point. I think we're going to have a trios match. I think we're going to have Christian Cage, Nick Wayne, and Luchasaurus going against Adam Copeland, Darby Allin, and Sting. I think that's where we're leading that down to because Adam has been tied with Nick Wayne, Luchasaurus, and Christian since he's got into AEW. And this only been so quickly since he's been in AEW, I can already see that match literally being for him. Sting, Darby, they have history with Luchasaurus and Christian because they screwed over Darby from his TNT title match at uh, Revolution. Not Revolution, God. Wrestle Dream and Nick Wayne, he screwed him at Wrestle Dream as well. So again, all these factors, I can see that being a match at AEW full gear. Again, the trios match, Sting, Adam Copeland, Darby going against Christian Cage, Nick Wayne, and Luchasaurus. Nothing has been officially confirmed yet, but that's just my personal opinion. I, I think where we're leading this storyline to. Now, when we get to the main event, Dynamite doesn't battle Royal. Uh, MJF will be on commentary. And as fate would have it, Juice Robinson and Max Caster would be the last two guys in the ring. Uh, Max and Juice, they're doing their business. They're battling it out. And... At one point, you see MJF being attacked by Jay White on commentary. And they're fighting on the stage, going back and forth. MJF will get the better of Jay White, and then he will take up his AEW World Championship. 
He would raise it up in the air. He would wait for Jay White to get up. He would try to run over and hit Jay with it, but Jay would clip MJF right in the nuts with a low blow. And now, this would distract Mass Caster, who saw this in the ring. He looks at the action, and then he wants to get back to Juice Robinson because now he remembers, oh yeah, I got a battle royal to win. And once he turns back to look at Juice, Juice has his TJ Maxx uh, diamond ring on his finger, and Max Castle would turn Juice around. Juice would hit Max with the left hand of God with the ring on his finger, and then he would toss Max Caster out of the ring, and Juice Robinson would win the Battle Royal. So now, next week on Dynamite, it'll be for the Dynamite Diamond Ring, MJF versus Juice Robinson for that ring. And I'm glad that they ditched the quarters deal because right now what's going on with the Jewish uh, community being attacked and all that stuff that's going on there in the Middle East. I'm glad that they just switched it up and introduced uh, Juice having this phony baloney ring on his finger to knock people out. I appreciate that. And I think a lot of people, other people appreciate that. But also you got to remember the sins of MJF. I think that that is going to play into the big role of MJF's whole redemption arc and everybody that's basically going to try to be teaching MJF a lesson because MJF has been a prick for the last four years of Dynamite or AEW's existence. So I think now with MJF kind of being still everybody's scumbag, I think now that this story that they're teaching or telling with MJF, I think now the sins of what he has done in his past are really going to be coming towards him, especially with the guys that's after him. The Jay Whites, the Juice Robinson, the Samoa Joe, the Kenny Omega, and especially the Warlow. The sins of his past are basically going to be coming to bite him in the ass. It's coming. But we'll have to wait and see what happens next week on Dynamite with MGF and Juice Robinson. I can't wait to see it. But, yeah. Now, with that, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling would open up with a one-on-one matchup between Samurai Del Sol going against Speedball Mike Bailey. Speedball Mike Bailey would get the win by pinfall by hitting Ultimo Weapon on Del Sol for the win. As this is uh, giving Speedball momentum as he's going against Will Ospreay at Bound for Glory. And again, this is Impact's basically number two guy going against uh, New Japan's top foreigner right now. At Bound for Glory, and for Speedball to get the win over Samurai Del Sol, it was a correct move. Um, I suspect Will Ospreay and Speedball is going to have a good match, to be completely honest with you. I hope to kind of see it catch it some way, somehow, but um, if I don't, A, it'll be fine. But I'm pretty sure Speedball and Will Ospreay are going to have a great match at Bound for Glory, and I suspect Will Ospreay to win it because it's New Japan, that's their guy, and he's kind of bigger in the pecking order than Mike Bailey, but I'm pretty sure they're going to have one uh, hell of a banger at Bound for Glory. Now, next matchup, we have Kenny King with Sheldon Jean in his corner going against Heath. Kenny King would win the match by pinfall thanks to distraction from Sheldon Jean when Heath will look to hit the wake-up call on Kenny King, but Sheldon would get on the apron. Heath would knock Sheldon off the apron, and this will allow Kenny King to hit Heath with a spinning kick and then finish him off with the Royal Flush for the win. This is Kenny King's way of putting the fork in his little mini feud with Heath because Heath has been constantly uh, bothering Kenny King this past summer. They mentioned it on commentary how Heath interrupted or interfered 
in Kenny King's match against Johnny Swinger, and he was the reason why Kenny King lost the Digital Media Championship to Tommy Dreamer. So for now, Kenny King to put Heath down, hopefully this ends their mini feud that they've been having. Now, next up, we have a no disqualification match between Crazy Steve and Black Tarus. Crazy Steve would win the match by pinfall by smashing Tarus's throat on the Feast of Fire briefcase when he rams uh, Tarus's throat on the briefcase on the top turnbuckle padding. Then Steve would hit Belladonna. Belladonna is a jumping DDT from the second turnbuckle, and Crazy Steve would win this no disqualification match. In this match, you had them using steel chairs, trash cans, uh, the briefcase, as already was mentioned, and Crazy Steve would try to fork Black Tarus. Yes, he would take a fork. That's Crazy Steve's weapon of choice now. A fork, and he tries to use it against Black Tarus. Tarus would grab Crazy Steve's wrist and try to turn it on Steve. Steve would get on his knees and start uh, pleading with Tarus not to do it. Tarus wouldn't do it. Tarus would try to look to hit uh, Hell's Gate on Crazy Steve, but Crazy Steve would counter it and rake the eyes of Black Tarus, and that would lead to the whole uh, smashing of the throat and Belladonna. So, solid no disqualification match from Black Tarus to Crazy Steve. No blood here, um, as this is giving Crazy Steve momentum as he's going against Tommy Dreamer. I'm not, they didn't run it down on uh, Bound for Glory. I don't think it's happening at Bound for Glory. It's probably going to happen on the Impact episode after Bound for Glory for the Digital Media Championship, but this gives Crazy Steve momentum going into that match with Tommy. Now, next up, tag matchup. Moose and Brian Myers going against PCO and Rhino. Moose and Brian Myers would win the match by pinfall when Moose would hit PCO with a spear. Now, there was an interesting moment in this match here where Steve Macklin would come out and he would uh, pull Rhino out of the ring, beat up Rhino. The referee doesn't see none of this. And as Macklin was going to hit Rhino with a gore outside of the ring, Bully Ray would run down and he would stand in front of Rhino and uh, Steve Macklin would stop. Steve Macklin and Bully would have some words more on the side of Macklin talking to Bully, and Bully just stood there stone cold, and that allowed PCO to hit Macklin with a uh, maneuver from inside the ring to outside the ring. I believe it was like a uh, running cannonball through the second turnbuckles, or the second ropes onto Macklin. And you're starting to see Bully Ray help out his friend of many years, Rhino, and Macklin's having a problem with that. Macklin and uh, Bully, they've been boys. They've been scumbags. They've been trying to take care of different people who each other have been having problems with. And now Macklin's looking for Bully to return that favor with Rhino. And Bully just can't because Bully knows Rhino for, what, 20, 25 years? ECW days? So once the match is done, Bully Ray goes to the back. Rhino would follow him. Rhino would tell Bully, I don't know what that was. I don't need your help. I don't trust you. And he would walk away from Bully. And Bully would just say from uh, afar, you're welcome. So again, this thing between Bully Ray and Rhino, it's confusing. And more confusing is Steve Macklin because Steve Macklin still has no idea if Bully is basically yanking his chain or not. Because again, Bully is a scumbag. So we got to figure out what's his angle what's his whole deal with this maybe he is trying to protect his friend or maybe he's pulling an angle nobody knows we'll just have to wait and see as uh this story between these three guys continues on 
Now we get a backstage uh, segment. We have Josh Alexander in one room, Alex Shelley, the Impact World Champion, in another room. Scott Demore, he's supposed to play uh, middleman between the two, as both of these gentlemen are going to be going against each other for, well, at Bound for Glory for the Impact World Championship. And the gist of this whole meeting between the two is that Alex Shelley is paranoid. You can see, by the way, he's talking. You can see that he's calling Josh Alexander the golden child of Impact. You can just see that Alex Shelley, even though he's world champion, he still feels like an underdog and he just feels a type of way about Josh Alexander. Josh Alexander, he comes off in this smooth, calm, collected, because he is a former Impact World Champion. He mentioned to Shelley that, listen, I've held on to that title longer than anybody in the uh, company's history. And I know what you're feeling. You're feeling the pressure. And everybody can see it. You're cracking. And I'm worried about your mental state here. Because Shelly would try to throw out that Josh was trying to get out of the match by uh, getting himself not 100% earlier in this whole conversation of the meeting. And once Josh Alexander would say that he's worried about Alex Shelly's mental state, Shelly would say, talk to me straight up like a man. What are you trying to say? Josh Alexander would tell Alex Shelly point blank, I think... You think that you are a transitional champion. And deep down, you're telling yourself that. And to be honest with you, you are. You are a transitional champion. So, Alex Shelley would get up. He would leave his room and he would go to find Josh Alexander. And once he does, he would run directly towards Josh. And you would get a little bit of a brawl. It wasn't much. You just see those two just like on the couch trying to fight one another. Scott Demore, he would get in, break it up between the two. And... He would tell Alex Shelley he got to leave. Alex Shelley would say, that's bullcrap. You are constantly picking his side over mine. So again, this goes into the whole golden boy scenario that Alex Shelley is saying for Josh Alexander, the way that Impact is looking at Josh Alexander. And to be honest, Josh Alexander is Impact's golden boy. He's been with Impact, I would say what? Before the pandemic happened, I'll say late 2019, early 2020. No, he was already tag champions with Ethan Page at that time. So, mid-2019, and he's been just like their good-hand guy. If they need a good match from him, you go to Josh. You need somebody that's reliable on the card, you go to Josh. You need a good technical wrestler who can carry a match for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, even an hour, the way that he did with himself and TJP for the X Division Championship, you go to Josh Alexander. I mean, Josh is the guy for Impact, and he's literally their number one. And as I said earlier in this Impact conversation, Speedball might be at least number two. You can see that they're doing the exact same thing that they did with Josh Alexander with Speedball. So I guess since Josh Alexander probably winning it from uh, Alex Shelley at Bound for Glory to Impact World Title, but if he doesn't, Alex Shelley probably doing some dirty, dick dashly heelish move to win and retain the Impact World Championship, it's something that could happen too. And I'm all for it. Either way, they're going to have a great match as well. I personally do not care who's going to win it because I'm pretty sure whatever the outcome is, is going to be, is going to be at least entertaining for what's coming up next with Impact Wrestling out of Bound for Glory. Now, on to the main event, tag team matchup. The Impact Knockouts champion, Trinity, teaming up with her challenger at Bound for Glory, Mickey James, going against Savannah Evans and Giselle Shaw. Trinity and Mickey James would win the match by pinfall. When Mickey would hit the Mick DDT on Savannah after Mickey and Trinity would hit a combo of strikes onto Savannah. 
Now, after the match, you will see Trinity and Mickey, they hug each other. They worked well in this matchup, but as Trinity was trying to leave, you see Mickey hold on to the knockout sidle, and Trinity would turn back to look at Mickey, and you just get the stare down between the two ladies. As I said, they're going against one another at Bound for Glory, and just like the Josh Alexander situation, which I didn't mention this, Mickey James had to forfeit her championship this year. And that will lead to Trinity winning it off of Deanna Perrazzo. Mickey never really lost her title. Same thing with Josh. Josh had to relinquish his title. So he never lost it. So Mickey's going into this match kind of being the uncrowned, still crowned champion, just without the belt. So we're going to see if she has enough fortitude to win the title and regain it back from Trinity at Bound for Glory. Or will Trinity continue on her star-making ways as she has been since she's got into Impact this year. And Trinity, she's been a star, literally. They uh, make sure to put the spotlight on her. They allow her to do her business. They allow her to wrestle her way and let her have fun. You can see it in Trinity, uh, the way that she makes her entrance out there, the way that she's in the ring, the way that she performs the moves, the way that she's interacting with the crowd. Trinity has been a star since she's been in Impact. They have literally just let her just go out there and just be herself and it's good, especially with Trinity and both herself and Mercedes uh, Monet left WWE last year. It's been great seeing Trinity and Mercedes doing their business. So Trinity here being an Impact, it's been great seeing her shine. It's been great seeing her as Impact uh, Nightgast Champion. Me, personally, I hope that she retains it. But if Mickey wins, I want her to do something heelish. I do, because Mickey as a good guy it's cool, but I would like to see a heel version of Mickey James back in Impact. She did that some years ago, but we haven't seen heel version of Mickey in some time. And I think it would be a nice little curveball for people in Impact, to be honest with you. But we'll wait and see what happens uh, on Bound for Glory. But with that, that's your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we will proceed over into SmackDown, and we will start with Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman's in the middle of the ring, and he would revel in Jimmy Uso costing Cody Rose and Jay Uso the tag titles on Monday Night Raw because of Jimmy Uso taking initiative after Roman Reigns challenging Jimmy last week because Roman had a problem with Jay holding the tag titles with Cody because he said that was a slap in the face to his family, so Jay had to lose his titles because of that, thanks to Jimmy. Now, Paul would then... Uh, tell the people of the news that the LA Times broke and that Roman Reigns will be defending his WWE Universal Heavyweight Championship against LA Knight at Crown Jewel and the crowd would cheer. Paul would say, just like you, I am a fan of LA Knight. Paul would then go into promoter mode and say that if you are a fan of LA Knight, you need to go and watch Crown Jewel because he is going to get decimated by Roman Reigns and this could be the last time you could see LA Knight. Now, speaking bad of L.A. Knight, Knight would come down to the ring and take the mic away from Paul Heyman. L.A. would then start having a little bit of fun with Paul Heyman, first telling him that he doesn't need him in the ring when he calls out Roman. And once he does call out Roman and Roman doesn't come out, you would see L.A. Knight go back over to Paul and tell him to get his butt back in the ring. And now he starts playing with him, like jabbing him a little bit. And he basically tells Paul Point Blake, listen, next week in the contract signing between me and your boy, the Tribal Chief, Let him know that I'm coming to take his championship and that there's nothing that he basically can do about it. So we have that set up for next week. The contract signed between LA Knight and Roman Reigns. 
And again, LA Knight, this whole segment was just basically having fun with Paul Heyman, and he just radiating basically Stoke Cold Steve Austin, like the era where Stoke Cold was messing around and just jabbing with commentators and announcers, anybody that he could mess with in the ring and backstage. So that's what I felt from this. LA Knight, again, he is radiating stardom. You can see the star in him. That's what the fans have been wanting for some time, and we're finally getting LA Knight in that big picture, this big spotlight. So I'm glad to see that. Now, next up, we have Montez Ford with Angelo Dawkins in his corner, going against Santos Escobar with uh, Cruz del Toro and Joaquin Wilde in his corner. Montez Ford would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Angelo Dawkins. When Santos would go after Montez uh, outside of the ring, Dawkins would shove Santos into the ring post. Now you have Cruz and Wilde try to go after Dawkins, but Dawkins would handle them. Santos would get up and hit Dawkins with a high knee. Santos would then get back in the ring, and Ford would grab Santos and get him with an inside cradle and hold on to Santos' tights to win the match. Now, after the match, Ford and Dawkins would attack Santos until Carlito would run down to the ring with a steel chair because Carlito wants to get a little bit of revenge on the Street Profits for attacking him last week backstage. But he doesn't get that opportunity because the Street Profits would leave the ring and go to the back. So this is setting up for a match next week, not between Carlito and the Street Profits. No, it's Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar next week against the Profits. I'm just, I wish it would have been Carlito because it would have made more sense. Because what we know about Rey coming up in the episode of SmackDown, which I'm going to get to, it would have been better for Carlito to be in the spot instead of Rey. But we'll see if they do change it up next week on uh, SmackDown. Um, next up, we have John Cena coming down to the ring. And he would thank the crowd. John would talk somber. And the reason why he's talking somber is because he mentions that today has been a hard-hitting day for him. And he's been hit with a lot of hard truths. And John would mention that it has been 2,002 days since John Cena has won a televised singles match. And when he said that, I was kind of questioning, like, hold up. Did he say televised singles match or televised match? Because last time he won a televised match, I could have swore... It was just him and uh, KO going against Roman and Sammy, like before the year of 2022 uh, was done. Like, that's the most recent match that I think he won. He probably won one like earlier this year, but that's the one that came out to my mind. So I, was, so I stopped and then I really listened and he said singles. I was like, oh, okay. And I really stopped. I'm like, oh, yeah, he hasn't had a singles match in a minute and like won one. So he's right. So, okay. Uh, John would then start saying that he kicked around the idea of retirement. And John's a maestro because he started to allow the fans to start chanting, you still got it. And once John starts hearing it, he would turn right into politician mode and say that he believes just like everyone else here that John still got it. And that John says that he feels sorry for the next idiot that walks through that curtain because John Cena wants to get that win and break this streak. So out will walk Solo Sokoa. Solo would get in the ring with John, and you would see John Cena and Solo brawling because those two have been brawling since John has came back this time around. And we get that until Jimmy Uso would come in the ring, hit John Cena with a super kick. Now it seems about to be a two on one, but Jimmy just like instructs Solo to go after John. Then you will see a figure covered in black uh, come through the crowd, grab Jimmy out of the ring, and you will see that figure punch Jimmy. Now that mystery figure would uncover himself and it would 
beat Jey Uso. Jay would continue to attack Jimmy. He would even super kick Jimmy over the Timeskeeper area. You would have security and backstage officials come out to separate Jay from Jimmy. And in the ring, you would see John Cena about to get Simone Spike by Solo. But John would duck it and then hit Solo Sokoa with an attitude of judgment to end this segment here. Now, when we go to commercial break and when we come back from it, you see Jay Uso in the back with uh, Nick Aldis in his office. Security guards still trying to grab Jay and Nick will be there. Adam Pierce will be there. Uh, Nick would chastise Jay for being on SmackDown and doing this. He said, this is a Monday Night Raw. And Adam would say, you think Jay got this idea because his brother came on Raw and cost him his tag titles? Nick would say, you know what? Guess what? Jay, you're going to be fined $10,000. And Adam would look at Nick and say, well, if you're going to kind of find Jay, you need to find Jimmy the same amount. Fair is fair, right? Nick would then tell the security guards to say, hey, I need you to escort Jay out of the building. Pierce would kind of step up since he is a raw guy. And Jimmy is under, not Jimmy, but Jay is under raw guidelines. Pierce would say, hey, you don't need to have Jay escorted out of the building. I'll get him out. I'll escort him. And then Nick would say, you know what? You're right. And he would look at the security guards and say, how about you escort both of these gentlemen off my building? And you would get Adam Pierce, take his glasses off and look at Nick directly in his face and say, are you serious? And he would say, guess what? Let the games begin. So it seems that we're working our way into a Survivor Series thing because it is a Survivor Series. It's about time for Survivor Series at the Crown Jewel. We're already starting getting things rocking between the two uh, general managers of Raw and SmackDown. And again, I am I grew up in an age when Survivor Series was brand versus brand. Raw versus SmackDown it actually meant something. So I'm not mad at them trying to bring this back with the two general managers with the Nick Aldis and Adam Pierce, and they're doing this whole thing for brand supremacy at Survivor Series because you can see it's coming that way. And I'm not mad at this. Um, but that's that side that I just got to. What I want to talk about is the big overarching picture here is that you had all of the Samoan dynasties like Rikishi's kids in this one segment with John Cena. Literally one of the greatest of all times in this one segment. You have Solo Sokoa, who's taking on John, who John took on, uh, I believe it's their uncle Umaga in, what, it was 2006, I believe? 2006-2007, their rivalry that, and Solo's carrying that on here. You have uh, Solo's other brothers, Jimmy and Jay, who are in a great like storytelling rivalry that you know that Crescendo is basically going to be a one-on-one match between the two. They're still trying to stall that one out as best as they can. And you have this moment really played out on SmackDown with, as I said before, John Cena, one of the greatest of all time in WWE. And all of Rikishi's kids was in this one moment. That is crazy. That is insane. So just because Roman Reigns wasn't on the show, that doesn't mean that the, like, the NY family wasn't represented and especially wasn't represented in a big way because this was. This was a big thing for the NY people. This was a big situation for the Samoan dynasty. And I was glad to see this because, man, I remember watching Rikishi um, in the like later days of his career. And I got to see the Usos um, debut on television. I got to 
see their growth and now to see them at this point and now seeing them with their brother in this moment with John Cena, it was just so great because I like family. Family being together and sticking together, even if they're feuding with each other on television, you know, outside of the ring, they are a close knit. And just to see them really have this moment and really have this light shined, like really bright on them at this particular moment, it was great for me. It really uh, made me smile from uh, cheek to cheek with the NY family and John at this moment. I, it was really good. I'm not going to hold in line to you. It was really nice. Um, getting away from that, uh, next up, we have Logan Paul. Logan Paul will come to the ring. Logan will talk about uh, winning his boxing match with a scumbag. And uh, Logan would then turn his attention over to Rey Mysterio. Logan would throw a shot at Rey and say that he has already beaten Rey Mysterio before in his first match in WWE. So he's not really here for Rey. He's here because Rey has something that he wants. And it is the United States Championship. And it's something that basically Logan Paul needs. So, before Ray will come out, Logan would uh, take another shot and say that he's already beaten one uh, deadbeat dad. And he's talking about Dylan Dennis. So now it's time for him to beat up another deadbeat dad. And then that's when Ray Mysterio will come out. Ray would tell Logan, just like Dominic, Logan has passion and natural athletics. And just like Dominic, Logan is indeed arrogant. Ray will say that he has plans on humbling Logan and he would accept Logan Paul's challenge for a match for the United States Championship at Crown Jewel. You will get Logan Paul and Ray shaking hands, so that match has been made official. Now, as I said earlier, Ray Mysterio will be teaming up with Santos to go against Street Profits next week. I wish it would have been Carlito because now you got Ray about the pooling uh, duty next week with tag title match, not tag title, but tag team matchup. And if he gets injured, then that's kind of like, well, Ray has to go into a match against Logan Paul injured at Crown Jewel, and that won't be good. I just want to try to decrease the decrease the idea of Ray getting hurt. So why have Ray Russell just have him be off to the side, like managing for Carlito and Santos, and you could just have Logan Paul pop up next week and trying to like pop Ray in the face if you want to do that, not have Ray like actually in a match. Preserve Ray Mysterio. That's all I'm trying to get at here. Preserve him so him and Logan can have a great match at Crown Jewel. Because even though I don't like Logan Paul personally, I can respect that he's doing what he's doing in WWE. Especially with all the money that he is basically making outside of the WWE. Because, as I said before, I don't like the guy. I don't. But you got to respect his business acumen. You see him with, as he said, he got a multi-million dollar uh, hydration company in Prime, which again, if you s go to see some stores and try to buy Prime, like the bottle bottles, those are about like $14, $15. I'm like, yo, dog, that is insane. You're beating out Gatorade prices and people are buying them for their kids. So, hey, man, he got that working for him. Uh, he does the boxing deal. And guess what? He's making lucrative money there. He doesn't have to be in WWE, but he's here. And when he's in WWE, guess what? He shows out. So I got to give the devil his due. I might not like him personally as a person, but his business acumen and what he does, it works. So for him to be here, and you know, in the last outings that he's had in wrestling rings, he's had great outings. Him versus Seth was straight. Him versus Ricochet was straight. His tag match of him and Miz was uh, straight against the Mysterios. And then him and Miz, SummerSlam, I believe it was last year, straight. And then him and Roman, last year at Crown Jewel, was straight. Um, 
Logan Paul, he's going to do a good match with Ray. I just wish that they would preserve Ray so he would not get injured. That's just my whole deal. But hopefully they do. Maybe someone will listen to this and probably understand my reasoning and say that he's the kid's probably at a point. So maybe, who knows? We'll see next week. Um, next up, we have a tag match. Dragon Lee and Cameron Grimes going against Grayson Waller and Austin Theory. Theory and Waller would win the match by pinfall, with Waller hitting a rolling flatliner on Grimes, and then Theory would hit an A-Town down for the win. So we're still giving Austin Theory and Grayson Waller the A-Town down under their time in those, uh light. I'm cool with that because I like both of the guys. I like Grayson Waller a lot. I mean, he's a guy that could talk his butt off, and also he's just a guy that has a lot of charisma. And he's also capable wrestler, too. So I like seeing that from uh, Grayson. Theory, he, I don't know what's up. It's just some reason that it's just everything that he's done beforehand. It just didn't work. It just seems that this move right here with Grayson, they're trying to rub some Grayson Waller like stuff onto Theory. Hopefully it works. I really do because I like Theory as a wrestler. Maybe he probably needs to change himself up as a character and turn probably good guy and then he could probably work. Maybe. I don't know. But let's see what happens more with uh, A-Town Down Under. But that's just what we got here. Now, we move over into our main event for the WWE Women's Championship match. It is Charlotte Flair going against the champion EO Sky with damage control in EO's corner. EO would win the match by pinfall thanks to damage control interfering. When EO would go for her patented moonsault, but Charlotte would counter it by kicking EO in the face. Charlotte would spear EO and then cover her for the pin. Now, as the referee's making the count, Bailey would put Eel's foot on the bottom rope. The referee would stop his count when he sees the foot on the rope. Charlotte would know that Bailey did something, so Charlotte would leave the ring and start going after Bailey. Charlotte would attack Bailey, throw her over the commentary table, and as this is all going down, the referee would watch this. Inside the ring, he would miss Dakota Kai sliding Eel Sky, the WWE Women's Championship. So when Charlotte got back in the ring and she ran over to Eo and hit her with a spear, she would execute the spear but knock herself out in the process because Charlotte's head would collide with the championship. Now this will allow Eo to pin Charlotte to retain her championship and still become champion. After the match, you have Eo and Bailey attack Charlotte and they would do so until a returning Bianca Belair would run down to the ring and make the save. Bianca Belair would go after both uh, Bailey and Io, and Bianca would look to hit the KOD on Io. However, Bailey would pull Io off of Bianca's shoulders and let Io leave the ring. Then you would see Bianca grab Bailey and hit her with the KOD. And SmackDown will end with damage control retreating to the back as Charlotte and Bianca stands in the ring looking at damage control. Now, I had no problem with this ending. EO should not have, like, lost to Charlotte. Yes, we're going to continue to give EO, like, some uh, bad guy wins because she is a villain. Bailey is a villain. Bailey is an annoying villain, and that's her job. It just seems that Bailey is not trying to become champion, at least right now. Her whole thing is to try to keep the championship within damage control and keep it on her girl, EO, and just be that uh, managing piece, that supportive member, the supportive person on the team to make sure everything goes the team's way. 
And I have a feeling when the time is right, Bailey will be cashing in and try to ask for a championship match against EO because she has constantly been helping EO retain her women's championships. Now, with the idea of Bianca being back, I'm glad for that. I'm glad that she had her uh, rest because Bianca for certainly needed her rest because she's been carrying the women's division for a long period of time. Uh, I believe since legit last year, and probably even the year before that, she was carrying the women's division on her shoulders. So for her to have that, it was good to see her come back. And it just seems that they're putting Bianca back in the front, in the running for a championship matchup. And I'm not mad at that because I like Bianca. But again, we'll have to wait and see what happens next week on SmackDown. But with that being said, that was your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we will move over into AEW Rampage, and we will start out with a two out of three falls matchup. And this is a CMLL match between Mystico and Rocky Romero. Now commentary would put over that Mystico and Rocky Romero do have some uh, history between each other. If you don't watch CMLL, like I do not, because I don't watch like a lot of Mexican uh, lucha libre wrestling, they would break that down on commentary. And they mentioned how the rivalry started last year in 2022. And this is their first ever like singles match between the two. And they're having it here on AEW Rampage. So this was a big deal. Um, first fall will go to Mystico by submission by locking Rocky Romero in an octopus stretch armbar submission. And Rocky would tap out. The second fall will go to Rocky Romero and he will win it by a pinfall. By hitting sliced bread on Mystico. And the third and final fall would go to Mystico. And he would win it by submission. By making Rocky Romero tap out to an armbar. But it's Mystico uh, specialty armbar. Where he would run off the ropes and get you in a head scissor constantly. Until he drops down and gets you in an armbar. And rakes on it. And just like stretches on it until you tap out. And this is my first time legitimately like seeing the presentation of Mystico, like this version of Mystico, the original Mystico, the guy that came into WWE, I believe, what, 2011 as Sin Cara, like the original Sin Cara. This is my first time ever seeing Mystico on TV, like this, like his original uh, character. I wasn't mad at it. I was cool. I, that doesn't mean I'm going to be watching CMLL like that, but... It was cool seeing Rocky and see, uh, Mystico. They had a good match on Rampage. Hopefully, we get more of Mystico on AEW. We get more of the CMLL uh, relationship wrestlers on AEW. And especially, it's crazy. Because when you think about it, uh, I do know this about Mexican professional wrestling. CMLL and AAA do not work together. That Those are the two big Lucha Libre uh, brands over in Mexico. However, AEW, they have a working relationship with CMLL, and they have a working relationship with AAA. So it's going to be real interesting to see if AAA pulls back their partnership with AEW because of this, or they're just going to find a way to work around it. I don't know how that's going to work, but it's going to be interesting to see uh, in this new landscape what AEW has with both of the Lucha Libre uh, promotions. Now, moving over into the next match, a triple threat match where the winner will be facing Orange Cassidy for the AEW International Championship at Battle of the Belts. You have Isaiah Cassidy going against Kip Sabian, 
going against uh, John Silver. John Silver would win the match by pinfall when Isaiah Cassidy would hit Kip Sabian with a swanton and cover him. You will see John Silver get in, punk kick Isaiah Cassidy in the face, and then cover Isaiah for the win. So now you will see John Silver going against Orange Cassidy at Battle of the Belts for the AEW International Championship. Now, next up, you will have Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta going against Brian Keith in Exodus Prime. Claudio and Wheeler would win the match by pinfall by hitting the fastball special, which is basically Yuta uh, being launched by Claudio off the top turnbuckle for a body splash for the win. This was a squash match. Brian Keith, he was able to get some moves in, but Claudio and Yuta, they won the match. Again, essential squash match because it would be going against uh, Ricky Starks and Big Bill for the AEW Tag Team Championships on AEW Collision. Now, we move over into the main event. Sky Blue going against Ruby Soho, who have Soraya in her corner. Ruby would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Soraya interfering by hitting Sky Blue in the face with a spray paint can when the referee was not looking. Now, after the match, Ruby and Soraya, they would attack Sky Blue until Chris Statlander would run down to the ring. Soraya and Ruby, they would leave the ring and head off to the back. And you would see uh, Chris trying to help Sky up. Sky would not take Chris' uh, help and just slide out of the ring. And again, you're starting to see a different style, a different way Sky has been acting since Julia Hart misted uh, Sky in the face. And again, you start to see her become more mean, more malicious. And it's just something that people did not expect from Sky Blue. But again, whenever a member of the House of Black sprays the mist in your face, you kind of should expect that uh, kind of outcome. A new version of yourself, something is now becoming different from you. And we're getting that out of Sky Blue, a more aggressive and angry version of Sky Blue here. Chris Stanlander, she just doesn't know what to do. But I can see Sky Blue making the adjustments and actually going full heel on uh, Chris Stanlander sooner rather than later. Now, that would be your AEW Rampage. And this is the end of the show. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. If you want to listen to my Sunday episode, which will be dropping tomorrow, I advise you to because I'll be talking about any and everything that happened in the world this past week. I think you will enjoy it. I think you'll find some educational about it. Hey, that's only if you want to do that. And if you haven't listened to my midweek episode where I talked about uh, Halloween, Halloween candy, uh, you guys need to get your medical supplies. Well, medical supplies, I mean like your coughing uh, syrups and cough drops and all that kind of crap because as I said on that episode, which you can listen to, people are starting to get sick. And it's time for that because especially now with Halloween, now your kids or you might even be going out. Those sicknesses, those things will be coming up and I don't want you guys to get sick. So please, if you haven't listened to my Wednesday episode, you'll hear me talk about all of that. And, and I talk about how you should get yourself prepared and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, if you don't want to listen to those two things, hey, you can just listen back next week for next Saturday's uh, episode of Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Where I'll be back here talking to you guys about everything that happened in professional wrestling uh, in that week. So with that, this has been the Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, not him. I love you all. I'll see you guys soon. <laughs>